Thank you to Jordan for pre-recording that. Jordan and Justin, her fiance, and his family are in Florida. They're on their way to Florida. Um, I want to acknowledge that we do have people watching online with us today. Um, some of those people are from across the Twin Cities who have somehow connected with the Grove, Cottage Grove, even when they live 45 miles away. Um, some people, I, I know that I have parents watching from Wisconsin. There's other people who I'm sure are watching from home in Cottage Grove or Hastings or Woodbury, and it's really cold out, and I want to respect the choice to stay home today. So I want to acknowledge those people, not shame those people, say thank you for joining us online as well. All right, the connection point question. A dream that I've had more than once. So there's two dreams that I have repeatedly, probably at least once every six months. One, however, is pretty unique to my profession, and it, it, it goes something like this. I had it again this past week, which was not great. Uh, the dream goes like this. It's Sunday morning. It's getting close to the time where the, the service starts. Everybody's starting to gather, um, and, and I'm up front, and suddenly I realize I don't have anything to say. Like, it's not that I forgot things. It's that I didn't prepare anything. <laughs> like, I haven't written anything down and suddenly we're minutes away from starting, I'm at the front, I have no idea what I'm going to say. Now, you could take this, you could resolve this conflict in a number of different ways, like I've been doing this for 12 years, I have an undergrad and a master's degree in this stuff, lots of experience, lots of knowledge uh, uh, that I could get up and talk for 15 minutes about, or less, some people might appreciate less. <laughs> um, I could do that, however, every single time, the way that I resolve the conflict in in the dream is I hit the deck and I try to army crawl down the center aisle <laughs> and not let anybody see me. Now, every single time that's where the dream ends, I don't actually know how it resolves. I don't know if I make it out the door. I don't know what happens, but that, that's the dream that I have. I, again, I have it at least every six months and I had it this last week on, on Christmas Day. I've never actually had that happen before, thankfully. However, I had something that was a little bit too similar to that happen this week. So yesterday morning, I wake up, and I have a realization as I'm looking and thinking through the service for today. We, we try to plan pretty consistently so that everything in the service flows out of a central theme for the day. And I had this realization. I wrote the wrong message. Like, it's not that I, uh, I thought of something different that I could add in. It's that I wrote the wrong thing, like on the wrong topic. I didn't tell you this until this morning. So uh, we're, we're about to go into John. I'll talk more about John. John chapter 1, good place to start. I wrote something for the very beginning of John chapter 1. That's not what we're supposed to talk about this morning. So fortunately, I realized it early enough yesterday morning. I scrambled. Again, I've got 12 years, a master's degree in this stuff. I was able to put something together that I hope you find helpful today, and here we are. Um, now, we are talking about John, the gospel according to John. That's where we're going to be spending our next two months and really the time fully leading up to Easter. Gospel, uh, at least in, in the description of gospel according to John, capital G, was a genre, a, a, a type of uh, biography that was written in the ancient world 2,000 years ago and, and half a world away. It was almost like a form of 
propaganda, if I can say that. Um, it was used by important people in order to get the stories about them out into the world, uh, make them more relatable, make them more understandable so that people could respond to them. You can almost think about it in terms of um, candidate profiles, candidate memoirs. Um, oftentimes when someone's running for president, someone will write a biography about them or they will write a memoir so that as they're about to run, they can be familiar, right? Uh, sometimes you can even know that someone's planning to run for president because they put out a book first, okay? So th the, a gospel is a biography almost like that where people said, we need to get the most important information about this person out into the world so people can respond to them. So following Jesus's uh, miraculous birth and life and teachings and death and resurrection and ascension, his followers pretty quickly realized, we need to tell people this story. But there was a whole lot that was going on. Like, how do you adequately tell the story of, of God coming into human form? How do you tell that and, and spread that story and get people to respond to it? So for the first 40 years following uh, the life of Jesus, his followers told these stories orally. That means they told them to, uh, to one another individually or to small groups of people, to communities, and slowly this oral stories about Jesus began to spread, so much so that to the point where um, it, these stories about Jesus reached as far west as India, and as far east as maybe Spain over the course of a few decades. These stories just continued to grow and develop and spread. Then finally, at about 70 CE, so about 40 years after the life of Jesus, these stories begin to be written down by some of his followers. And what happens is we end up, in the Bibles that we have today, four versions of those stories, of those gospel biographies about the life of Jesus. Now, as you'd expect from any, um, any account or any different account about a single story, the stories differ depending on the situation and the person who's writing them. So we have these four. The first one is Matthew. Matthew was written by a tax collector, and what he was really uh, trying to set out was um, how people had the risk of missing out on the exciting vision for the world that, that God had and was rolling out in, in this Jesus story. Then there was Mark. Mark was a friend of Jesus' best friend, Peter. So he heard all of these stories secondhand. Then there was Luke. Luke was a physician, and he says from the very beginning of his biography, he says, I want to put together an orderly account so that you can be sure of everything that I'm writing down. Those are the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then we get to John. Um, how do I describe John? John was, John was an artist and a poet. Any of you know artists and poets? They're a little bit different from physicians, maybe? Um, John's approach to writing his biography of Jesus was a little bit like, um, coloring outside the lines, because the lines are actually a prison. Right? It's a, the a poet and an artist, how a poet and an artist would write a biography, maybe, right? Um, some of you know that we have identical twins, four years old, they're about to turn five this next week, um, and it's really been fun over these five years to watch them grow and develop as different people. They have the exact same DNA. Um, they have had many of the exact same experiences, but their actions within the, the world 
their personalities within the world are very different. And one of the ways that we point to those differences is we often uh, tell people about their artwork. And here's a video that we often show people to put this on display of their artwork. So this is Madeline. Madeline's got her dabber. She's trying to get the circles, one single color in all the circles. And here's Bria. Multiple colors. She's just going at it. Doesn't matter that there's circles on there. She's just going to keep coloring, having fun. Madeline's back at it. She's trying to keep it in the circles, right? And then we will go back to Bria. And Bria, she tried to stay in the circle, but she's not having any of that. She's maybe done, oh, what's this thing? Oh, I'll color on my hand. <laughs> no, that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> you can think about this as maybe the difference between a Matthew, Mark, and a Luke, and John. John was a poet and an artist. He had no interest in coloring inside the lines, which means that his biography is really different. He, he cuts out stories that the other three include. He includes stories that the other three cut out. And even where there's overlap, many of the details are so, so different that it's like, how on earth is this consistent? And if I'm being honest, there was a time not that long ago where I would have said, because of that, I really don't like John. You, there, I'm giving you permission to not like parts of the Bible or maybe like them less than other parts. I really did not like the gospel according to John very much. Uh, there's also this thing where he, he talks a lot about uh, things that you should know about Jesus, not necessarily things that Jesus wanted you to know. However, what I've really come to realize over the last few years is Matthew, Mark, and Luke were just doing it differently than John. And I was expecting things of John and this ancient text from 2,000 years ago. I was expecting answers that he had no interest in answering. Because what he was not trying to do was try to give an orderly account. What he was trying to do was say, how can we grasp our minds around this idea that God has become one of us in human flesh, that God took up residence among us. One uh, translator says, God moved into the neighborhood. What is the experience of God like beyond the simple facts? So that's what we're going to be focusing on in this series, and it starts off right from the get-go in the first chapter of John. Not the beginning of the first chapter. The, that's a different sermon for another time. Uh, the end of the first chapter. So this is in John 1, 35 through 51. Again, the next day, John was standing there with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist, by the way, not John, the person who wrote the book. Gazing at Jesus as he walked by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Jesus turned around and saw them following and said to them, What do you want? So they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated teacher, Where are you staying? Jesus answered, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. Now it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two disciples who heard what John said and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. On the next day, Jesus wanted to set out for Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the town of Andrew and Peter. 
Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets also wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael replied, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip replied, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and exclaimed, look, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, how do you know me? Jesus replied, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said to him, because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He continued, I tell all of you the solemn truth. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. There's a lot going on here, lots of names, lots of Johns, three different Johns if you include the author. But this is a really weird story to start out a biography account. Um, first of all, there's a different guy who has followers. John the Baptist, he's this crazy wilderness preacher. He's got his own followers. But then Jesus shows up on the scene, and immediately both John the Baptist and his followers notice that there's something unique about this Jesus guy, and they just ditch him. <laughs> they just get up and leave and go follow this other guy. Um, and, and maybe you'd expect Jesus to be excited about it, and yet he turns around and he seems kind of ambivalent, like, what are you doing? Why are you here? Um, and so they ask him, well, where are you going? He doesn't answer them. He doesn't give them an answer. He just says, come with me and see. So they come with him, and along the way, more people come with him. And along the way, as more people come with him, more people get excited about what they're seeing, and they tell more people, so more people are following along as well, coming and seeing what Jesus is up to. And time and again, Jesus is just kind of ambivalent about their responses. They come back to him, and they make these grand pronouncements around about, oh, you're the Messiah, you are the promised king, you are uh, the one that God had, had talked about. You're the one that the prophets had foretold. And Jesus doesn't shut those down. He doesn't say that isn't true, but he's kind of like shocked by their responding to that, the just coming and seeing. And so what he does is he doesn't tell them everything that they need to know. He doesn't just affirm the things that they believe about him. He says, come and see. Come and experience the goodness of God that is beyond simple knowledge. Come and experience the goodness of God in what you are seeing. So that is what we're going to be doing over these next two months as we open up this uh, gospel according to John. Looking at what does it mean to come and see the goodness of God at work in ourselves and in our world. And we're going to be looking at the, the stories from people sitting in this room and hopefully for many more of you sharing either on a screen or maybe if you're comfortable up front because we're convinced the experience is just as important as anything that you would read in the bible it's just as important as uh as history it's just as important as reason your experience speaks to something deep about what the goodness of god is like so we heard from Jordan a couple minutes ago, and now I get to share uh, a time when I experienced the presence of God. Exact date. Some of you have heard this story before. July 29th, 2016. We found out over the course of eight hours 
that Chelsea was going to be, she wasn't going to be, she was pregnant with a high-risk twin pregnancy and that I had cancer. We got those, we got that news bookending our day from two different doctors. So I get the phone call from my doctor. I'm out on our back deck. I hang up the phone. I crumple down onto the deck, and I start audibly, I don't know if my neighbors heard this or not. That would be an interesting conversation. Audibly cursing out God. I have given up so much for you, and this is what I get. Now, there's some people who go through experiences like that. The, the result being that their, their faith is ruined. And we, yet, what happened with me is that my faith was strengthened because of it. It's, it's not that I knew that uh, this was all a part of God's grand plan. It was not that I was convinced that everything was going to turn out okay, especially that wasn't the case in that moment. But that it, it was that I trusted that somehow, some way, even in the heat of that situation that we found ourselves, that God understood that God could take it. That God somehow knew because God had been in human flesh and took up residence among us. That was my experience of the presence of God. So, as we launch this new year, as we launch this new series, as we launch this new church, I'll simply ask you this, and it's a big ask too. Come and see. Invite others to come and see, to experience the goodness of God in your life and in our world. Grow goodness with us. Nurture healing, wholeness, and beauty. Deepen your curiosity and sense of awe. Expand your circle of inclusion. May that be so of us and this church. Will you pray with me? God, we know and trust that you go out before us, that you are at work around us and in us and pushing behind us. You're doing all of these things in the world around us, and we have the responsibility not to know about it all, not to know all the right things, but to be open to the experience. To trust that you are at work and to do something in response to it. So as we get this snowman dressed that is this new church, as we begin this new year, may we simply be open to coming and seeing the goodness of God at work in ourselves, in our community, and in our world. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.